Luke chapter 19, verses 1 through 10. He entered Jericho and was passing through. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd he could not, because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him. For he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he ran and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone to be the guest of the man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold, Jesus said to him. Today, salvation has come to this house. Since he is also a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Hey, everybody, good morning and uh, welcome to Christ Community Chapel. I am so, so glad to be with you. I welcome those of you over at our East service, those of you tuning in. I want you to know we uh, love you, we miss you, can't wait for you to be back. Welcome those of you here in our West service. All right, Uh, this is January, and we uh, normally cast a vision for the year, and the vision we are casting now, we want to last much more than a year. And a vision is really just a plan to try to get to where you want to go, because without a plan, it's so easy to end up where you've always been. Uh, The collages that are on the sound panels here in the sanctuary kind of show the the journey that we have been on these last uh, 40 years, the road that God has taken us on. Each one of the collages represents a decade, and we turn 40 this June. The question we are asking is, what will the next three collages look like the next 30 years? And we're calling it Reimagine. Reimagine. Uh, Last week, I told you our three big goals for the next 30 years. Do you remember? Everyone, every community, everywhere. Everyone, every community, everywhere. We are praying that 30 years from now, everyone within a 10-mile radius of this church will have a Christ-following friend who wants to bring them close to Jesus. And that might be you. We are praying that in the next 30 years, every community in Northeast Ohio has a gospel-preaching church. And we feel like our part is to start an average of two churches per year for the next 30 years, which will give us 60 churches all around Northeast Ohio. And we are praying that that will actually change Northeast Ohio. And then everywhere, we are praying that here at Christ Community Chapel, we can partner with ministries all over the world to make sure that Everyone, everywhere has someone to tell them about Jesus. All right, and the, the hallways outside that are under construction are really going to be uh, showing you the collages in real time as we pursue these goals. Now, the reason we are trying to do this, to reach everyone, every community, everywhere, is because we are going to try our best to obey what Jesus commands us to do in Matthew chapter 28. At the end of Matthew chapter 28, Jesus says, go and make disciples of every nation, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, 
teaching them to obey everything I have commanded. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Jesus says, go and make disciples. This week, we're going to talk about what that means to make a disciple, what it means to be a disciple. All right. Churches aren't the only ones that are casting a vision uh, for us in January uh, to cast a vision from where we are to where we want to be. If you've been watching TV at all in January, you have seen a bunch of commercials about losing weight or getting in shape. Right? And those are advertisers trying to give you a vision from what you are to what, they, what you may want to be. And they do it usually using a before and after picture. Right? Those things are killers. Because you see a before picture and you identify with it. You go, oh, yeah, that's the way I am. And then you see an after picture. And you go, oh, that's the way I want to be. Right? And once you do that, the advertisers got you right where they want you. Because the advertiser will say, if you want to go from where you are to where you want to be, what you need is this. This is your hope. And the reason that resonates so deeply with us, the reason that works so well is because I think that's etched on our souls. I think that's the very pattern of God. It's the pattern of of human beings. Is that we all have an inkling, actually a conviction that we are not what we could be, should be, ought to be. That the world is not what it could be, should be, ought to be. And we are on a constant search for hope that will bring us to what we should be, to bring the world what it ought to be. So I'm going to take the rest of our time, I'm going to tell three stories. Everybody loves a good story. And I'm going to tell three before and after stories. Okay, first, I'm going to tell the before and after story of the whole world. All right? Then I'm going to tell the before and after story of Zacchaeus, a man named Zacchaeus, which is the passage we just had read. And then I want to tell your before and after story. The before and after story of all of us here right now. All right? First, the before and after story of the whole world. This is actually the story of the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. All right, so let me tell you, this is the way it goes. Once upon a time, a God created a world, and that world was a, was a place full of beauty and goodness and peace. And above all, it was a world full of love and great joy. And God's love poured out onto his creation so that everything flourished. And then God made two human beings, a man and a woman, in his own image. And he gave them this big, wonderful, amazing, good world. And he was going to pour out his love on them. And then through them, all the world was going to continue to flourish. And they would offer that good world back to God. And the entire universe would resonate with glory. And the the sound, the predominant sound of that world was one of laughter and great, deep joy. That's what the Bible calls creation or the way things ought to be. That's the echo we feel in our hearts. And the Bible tells that part of the story in Genesis chapter 1 and 2. Then... The man and the woman decide to disobey God, to rebel against God, to claim the world as their own, and they separate themselves from God. And then the laughter dies out and the joy is no more. 
And instead of flourishing, the world begins to break. Because the man and the woman begin to use the world to try to fill themselves and they begin to break each other. And instead of having a world that is flourishing, instead we have what is. This world that is full of hatred and indifference and selfishness and arguing and bickering and divorce and pain and death. The Bible calls that part of the story the fall. It's our world as it is, and it's the before picture of our world. We see it as it is right now. And instead of having a world that is characterized where the echoing sound is that of joy and laughter, instead our world sounds of weeping and deep, deep sorrow. And the whole world hurts but God. But God decided that he would not leave the world broken. God decided that he wanted joy and laughter again. God decided that he wanted to wipe away every tear and heal all that is broken. And because he was God, he could do it. And because he is God, he did do it. And, that, and the Bible calls that restoration And that part of the story is found in Revelation chapter 21 and 22. And that is the after picture. It's the ideal. It's the way things ought to be. So we have the before picture of what is and the after picture in Revelation 21 and 22 of the restoration of all things. And the thing in between the before and after picture is Jesus. And Jesus is the one that God sent into the world to heal the deep brokenness inside of the world and inside of us. That Jesus was the one who was going to take tears and turn them into shouts of joy. That Jesus was going to heal and restore all things. And the Bible calls that redemption. And Jesus is the Redeemer. And he is our hope. And these are the four kind of movements of all the world. It goes creation, fall, redemption, restoration. This is the before and after picture of our universe. If you were an advertiser, you would say it was the ought to the is, to the hope, to the ideal. And for us here at CCC, we're going to capture it with symbols of a square, triangle, triangle, square. The square represents the way things ought to be, the way God created them to be. The first triangle is the brokenness of what is, the brokenness of our world, the brokenness inside of each one of us. The second triangle is Jesus, our hope. And the last square is the restoration of all things, the ideal for us and our world. Square, triangle, triangle, square. It's a little bit like a fairy tale. In fact, C.S. Lewis would say that it is the origin of all great stories because that this is what resonates in the human heart. We know, we know, we have this inkling that we are not what we ought to be, that the world isn't what it ought to be, that it should be different. And then we, we long for a hope that will get us back to that joy. And so we've been looking for that ever since, right? And it would be almost impossible to believe if it wasn't for stories like we find in Luke chapter 19. And that brings me to the second before and after story, that of a man named Zacchaeus. It's a great story. And it starts with Jesus walking through a city called Jericho. 
And it introduces Zacchaeus, and there's just a single verse that tells us about Zacchaeus. And this is what it tells us, that Zacchaeus was a chief tax collector, and he was rich. That's it. If somebody was going to describe you with a single sentence, they'd be trying to capture uh, the very essence of who you are. They'd be telling much more than just your profession and your net worth. They'd be telling something else. Be like this, if, if you were to describe me and say there was a man named Joe and he was a Browns fan and he was deeply disappointed, <laughs> but not as disappointed as a Steelers fan. <laughs> Sorry, had to get that in. But if you did describe me with that single sentence, what you'd be saying is much more than what I do on a Sunday afternoon. What you'd be saying is this is what his hope is that would return him to joy, right? That's what all of us are. All of us are on this trying to claw our way back to the world we were made to enjoy, that of joy and love and peace and goodness. So in this story, Zacchaeus has also climbed a tree. And he's looking for Jesus, which means that being a chief tax collector, being in the very height of his profession, and being rich, having more money than he could ever spend, had not done it for him, had not returned him to the place he wanted to be. And so he was still looking. And in this story has Jesus walking over to that tree. And of course, the whole crowd went with Jesus. And when Jesus looked up in the tree, everybody's eyes looked where Jesus was looking at this little man in the Neiman Marcus suit with his legs dangling from a branch. Now, you need to know that a chief tax collector doesn't get rich by kind of uh, helping other people manage their wealth. He doesn't get rich by inventing a new mode of travel. He doesn't get rich by having a vineyard that produces the best wine in the land. The chief tax collector, a chief tax collector got rich by strong-arming the weak. He got rich by exploiting people. And some of the people he victimized were now gathered like so many jackals underneath the tree, and they're waiting for Jesus to shame this little man who had tried his whole life to be big. And instead, Jesus says, hey, Zacchaeus, come down. Let's have lunch together. And what Zacchaeus heard Jesus say was, you are wanted, you are welcomed, and you are loved. And maybe for the first time in his life, He had that thing that he'd been looking for shoot through him like like a shockwave. Did you see it? In verse 6, this is what it says. It says, uh, So Zacchaeus hurried and came down and received him joyfully. Do you see it? All of a sudden, Zacchaeus experiences that joy he'd been looking for his whole life. And we don't know all that Jesus said to him or if he said anything at all, but what we find is that all of a sudden Zacchaeus springs into action. And before you know it, he is emptying his bank account. It's what it says in verse eight. 
says, And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I've defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. You should notice a couple things. One is this Zacchaeus, the way Zacchaeus responds to Jesus is connected to the way Zacchaeus is described in verse 2. Verse 2, he's described as a man who's a chief tax collector and he's rich. And the way he responds to Jesus is he begins giving away his wealth like it's nothing. He said, it says he starts by saying, half of my net worth I'm giving away. Half! Right? Rich people sign prenups so they can avoid giving half of their net worth to somebody they're about to pledge their love to forever. Half of a lot of money is a lot of money, and it's hard to give half. But not for Zacchaeus. And then Zacchaeus says, if I've defrauded anyone of anything, I'm going to give four times what I, defraud, what I took. You know what that meant? That meant he had to go to a bunch of doors knock on a door, have it open, and look face-to-face with somebody who hated him for good reason. And he'd have to come clean. He'd have to say, listen, I'm sorry. I'm sorry I defrauded you. I'm sorry I ripped you off. I know I told you I wasn't ripping you off, but I was ripping you off. And you know it, and I know it. And I, I, I know that probably caused all kinds of hardship in your life and with your family. And I can't undo what I've done, but I can do this. Here's 400% of what I took. It's like Ebenezer Scrooge, right? And Dickens' A Christmas Carol. Zacchaeus has been transformed. What happened? All of a sudden, he is this generous, good, compassionate, just, joyful, loving man. What happened? The the short answer is Jesus. But my question is how and why? And to know that, Because this is what discipleship is all about. You have to look at Adam and Eve again. So Adam and Eve, they were created to be connected with God, to be in this loving relationship with God where he was going to flow through them and they were going to flourish, right? And they were going to live in this joy and peace and good world that they long for. But then they separated themselves from God and they ended up having to look at creation to try to find something to transport, find a different hope that would transport them back to the world they were made to live in, to the, to the them they were made to be, right? And we have all been on a mad scramble ever since. And you can use almost anything. You can use romance or marriage or children or, or sports or career or success or money. And here was Zacchaeus. And we are told in verse 2 what his hope was. He was a chief tax collector and he was rich. But at the end, what we find in his after picture is a man who is wildly generous, who is just and good and kind and loving. And what has happened is that he found true hope in Jesus. He found the one that could actually give him joy. And so he took what he had been putting his hope in and he just gave it away because he could now that he had Jesus. That's what discipleship is. Listen, becoming a Christian isn't just praying a prayer so you get a ticket to heaven so that when you die, you go to heaven. Becoming a Christian means to be transformed in the deep, to be healed in the deepest part of your soul so that it changes absolutely everything about you. That's what it means to be a disciple. 
That's why I love the word reimagine. And I love the word reimagine because Jesus wasn't changing Zacchaeus into the man he used to be. Jesus was changing Zacchaeus into the man Zacchaeus had never been because only Jesus knew who that was and how to get him there. And that brings me to the before and after story for you and for me. And to talk about your before and after story, we have to start with how you were created. And the Bible says you were created in the image of God. You were created to reflect exactly what God is like. You were created to be compassionate and good and loving and just and generous, right? If you want to know how you were, you were created, what you were created to be like, you look at Jesus. Now, you were created to be just like Jesus, but of course you're not like Jesus and neither am I. Discipleship is what that means to become like Jesus. And what it means is for me to look at my life and what I'm putting my hope into and then finding out where I am not like Jesus and seeing how Jesus impacts that. Let me try to explain it like this. This is what I did this morning. Okay, I have a... um, Preaching is (laughs) nerve-wracking, just so you know. And... uh, so I was, I was doing my quiet time today and I, uh, I was thinking, you know, Jesus probably was never nervous uh, when he taught, when he preached. So I was thinking, that's a way I'm not like Jesus. I'm nervous, right? And so I, I put in my, in my little prayer journal, I put square, triangle, triangle, square, right? So what, what did God create me to be like Right? What he created me to be like was absolutely secure in his love and joy. And so teaching or preaching would be, would, wouldn't make me nervous at all. But there's something inside of me that makes me nervous. You know what makes me nervous? You. <laughs> you know what? Because what I realize is this, that I tie myself worth, how I feel about myself to how you respond to me preaching. That's the brokenness in my soul. So then I go to Jesus and I say, Jesus, this is what I've been basing my worth on. I confess that to you. But you have already told me that you love me. My worth is in you, not in what people think of me. So take me to the place where you want me to be. Make me whole. Give me joy. Do you see? You can do that in every area of your life. I did it with generosity. I was thinking, how am I different than Jesus with generosity? Well, I'm probably much different in the way I handle money, but I'm also different and I'm less generous with my compassion, with my love, with my forgiveness. How do I become more like Jesus? It's, the answer is always connected to Jesus and what I'm putting my hope into. That's what I want you to know. Discipleship, a lot of times with discipleship in churches, we think we got to know more. So we get into more Bible studies and we need to know the Bible. That's true. But Zacchaeus was not transformed because he all of a sudden found out that defrauding people was wrong. Jesus, or Zacchaeus was, defo- was, was transformed because he realized that his hope, what he had been putting his hope into, which had warped every aspect of his life, could be replaced by Jesus. And that would, re- that would result in flourishing in every aspect of his life. You can do that with your marriage. You can do that with your friendships. You can do that with your job. You can do that when you're anxious. 
You just need to sit and do, this is the mechanism I want you to do. I want you to square, triangle, triangle, square it. I want you to sit and think, okay, what is making me this way instead of like Jesus? And then how does Jesus, if I confess that to him, how does Jesus actually change me and transform me into the person that he wants me to be? Not that I once was, but the person that I've never been because Jesus wants me to be just like him. You know, Jesus said to go and make disciples, right? I was thinking of this, that uh, Zacchaeus, when he went up and knocked on a door, and the person opened the door and Zacchaeus had to come clean with him and, and say, listen, I want you to know, I'm sorry, I ripped you off. Uh, here's 400% of what I took. And he gives them this big bag of money and he turns to walk away. I wonder how many times somebody holding that big bag of money said, hey, hey, what happened? Why would you do this? And then Zacchaeus could turn around with a big smile and say, his name is Jesus. Do you want to meet him? Listen, when people see your restored marriage, when people see you forgive people who have hurt you deeply, when people see you asking for forgiveness, when people see you being recklessly generous, it's only a matter of time before they ask you, what has happened to you? And you can tell them, his name is Jesus. Do you want to meet him? Jesus said, go and make disciples. You cannot make a disciple until you are a disciple. But the way you become a disciple is so wonderful because all it is is replacing what you've been hoping on that hasn't been working if you're honest with yourself and turning to Jesus in every aspect of your life and say, this is my hope. Give me joy. Give me joy. Everyone, every community, everywhere. Let's reimagine life because of Jesus. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, I come to you and I am so grateful that uh, you decided not to leave the world broken, not even to leave me broken, but instead you came and through your life and death and resurrection, you offer to reconnect me reconnect us to the source of all life and all love and all joy to be real hope. I pray that you would help all of us as we look at different aspects of our lives to see what we've been hoping in, confess that and replace it with you. And then I pray that you will transform us not into what we once were, but what we have never yet been, which is like you. Make us your disciples, I pray. And I pray this in your name. Amen.